Welcome, <laughs> welcome back to Strip Icea, your podcast on strippers, sex workers, naked people, and more naked people. <laughs> Today we have uh, a larger company. We have me plus two people. So we got uh, Jay and R. Hey guys. <laughs> I'm just using their first initials here. We're going to keep it kind of low key, um, but they are the author and also um, the host behind podcast 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 <laughs> how to have threesome so you guys want to say hello hey guys hey. nice to meet you <laughs> so this whole episode is going to be a bit like a different kind of take um obviously there is sex work to do with this episode of course as with any episode this is more to do with couples camming so i did an episode a few episodes back on uh, a cam girl and you guys were super interested in that so i thought we'd bring another another group of guests on to speak about their experience camming and also i guess maybe the dark side of camming too <laughs> the dark side <laughs> the dark side because we spoke a lot about like the good things that happen all the money you can make but what about when things kind of go wrong and people try to find out who the fuck you are and stalk you gets, and shit like that? Gets a little creepy. Gets a little weird, right? So um, we want to get into this. We're, we're going to let Jay and R tell their story. So I guess who wants to kind of dive well, into this? Well, like how, how, do, how do we get into this? Whose idea was this? <laughs> All right. Well, so originally I met Jay. She was very young. She was like... Pretty young. <laughs> I was I was underage in the states, but I just and, didn't bother telling him that. <laughs> yeah, we met at a parkour gym. I was doing flips over her and stuff, and we kind of met and connected. And then very quickly in our relationship, uh, I got a contract with Cirque du Soleil, Ooh. and she came with me. Yeah, ran off, uh, joined the circus straight out of high school, pretty much. Go. So when I first went to Cirque du Soleil, I had work every day, and Jay was just at home hanging out. So I think camming became a way for her to earn money while I was working and we were international and overseas and we weren't overseas actually, we were just over land, but it's okay. (laughs) So the way that we first got into camming was that we were up in Canada doing a bunch of music festivals and a bunch of our friends up there were in the kind of poly, open, stripping, kind of more sex worky scene and they had mentioned how good the money could be. Um, and I just turned 18, so all of a sudden this was an option that was legal for us, and we decided to try it just for one night. And I was really uncomfortable with the idea of it. I had never even considered doing anything like that before. Um, but we sent in, you know, all the paperwork that you need to sign up, um, and we did it our first night and made like, I don't know, like six or seven hundred dollars in the first night, which was a lot of money for us at the time. And little did we know that, of course, on sites like Chatterbait, in the first week you get boosted to the top. Um, So that will be your highest earning week, Uh, but we just thought it was going to be like that forever. So we ended up sticking with it for a couple of months, solid throughout the summer, and we had threesomes on cam, which made us a lot of money, uh, lo and behold. And then things went really well with that until uh, my boyfriend got his job with Cirque du Soleil. And then we started having a little bit of issues. Yeah, so my face was like (laughs) plastered over billboards and stuff, and people started writing to me, being like, aren't you that guy from Cirque du Soleil? And I was like, oh, I wish. And then I was like, fuck, we got to delete the accounts. Yeah. Yeah, a really creepy thing that happened was I used to spend a lot of time on the cam just kind of talking to the audience and trying to build up this reputation and be really friendly with them. And I would be eating and drinking food because I was on for so many hours at a time. And one guy, I guess, screen grabbed like the carton of orange juice that I was drinking and knew that because it was in French, I must be in Montreal. And he could like see some building out of my window behind me and was like trying to GPS coordinate where I was and then he wrote to me and was like, I know who you are, I'm gonna find you, like I'm gonna find your family and I was like, holy shit, like I didn't sign up for this, like. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, like the money was great. Yeah. But then it started getting a little creepy because my boyfriend was part of the advertising campaign and like we were getting a little bit more noticeable and I didn't want uh, to tell my parents quite yet that this was something we were doing. And I didn't want to lose my job either. Yeah, Yeah. that could have been a problem. So we decided to shut it all down which turned out not to be so easy because as you might have seen there's a dmca protection over all cam girls but it turns out that doesn't actually do anything what Um, yeah that's a big misconception so you pay whatever it is like a hundred dollars to get that dmca protection but they can only remove your stolen content if it's on a server based in the united states or canada which it never is 
right? The companies who make money by stealing your porn and broadcasting it for free are like Chinese and Indian companies. So as soon as it's overseas, they can't do shit. Holy um, crap. So it turned out that most of our videos, private shows and public screenings were being stolen and had like over 100,000 views on like multiple different sites and people were trying to find us oh and like God. sharing our faces and like cross-referencing and I was like, oh my goodness, this blew so out of hand. This is not what you signed up for. Yeah, this, I was oh like, God. I loved the idea that it was private and it was like, you know, we blocked our home states and it was going to be fine and we were making money and then I was like, oh, this is going to be here forever. I think you hear that, that it's always going to be online, but you don't always realize how true it is until, until, <laughs> until you try happens. and take it back. And how long were you guys camming before, like, this occurrence happened? Well, we went through so a couple weird. different stages, so... Well, maybe, well, the first time, probably about four or five months, maybe, because we started in Canada and your contract started and we were with Cirque. We, we've done a lot of different things with camming. Yeah, so before Cirque du Soleil, it was us as a couple, and then when we got to Cirque du Soleil, I was working, so Jay started doing stuff by herself. Okay, so okay, so you, you did a bit of both, so couples camming, you also did camming by yourself. Yeah, solo camming, and I wasn't doing anything very intense, like I would just kind of be in lingerie and be cute and like, I don't know, work on my handstands and my underwear, and people liked it because I, you know, was a circus person, so I was kind of bendy and I could just do some things that maybe other girls online weren't doing, and then I would build up the hype for a couple of hours before my boyfriend was going to come home, right. and it would be a countdown clock, right? Like, he's going to be home in two hours, he's going to be home in 15 <laughs> minutes, five minutes, guys, it's going to happen, and then as soon as he came and things started happening, it would click over to a private show, and we'd sell a bunch of tickets that way, and that oh. was, like, a big moneymaker for the night, but the problem was, once our content got stolen and we shut everything down, we missed the money, right? Like, the attention is really nice, because you right. feel so pretty, and, like, everyone says you're the perfect girl. Totally. Um, Miss the money on the freedom, the ability to like earn <laughs> yeah. money from anywhere in the world. So yeah, yeah. the whole mobility thing. Yeah. So we decided to try and do it again uh, when we were living in New York City, um, but to try and do it with masks, which turned out to be <laughs> a terrible idea um, for more than one reason. Aside from the fact that your personality doesn't come across when your face is covered, right? Like I'm a very happy, bubbly person. That was kind of what I was selling. Was this very young, innocent person who brought a lot of joy to people's lives and all of a sudden I had this mask and was trying to be this character that was darker and it just wasn't working and then also when we're trying to have sex with a wig and a mask on and your wig is like getting pulled <laughs> off and the mask is falling off and you're like trying to hold it on and stay in the moment and it uh it was <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work it was a mess yeah. it was a mess so that only lasted for a couple of weeks yeah. and then and we, were, we were pretty sad because we actually bought like an automated slider for the camera to like move while oh, we were having wow. sex it was amazing yeah, we, we put in a lot of our whole set it was gonna be beautiful and we had like all these lights in the background and like little costumes and it just it wasn't natural anymore I think that's what people liked about us is as a real couple they could tell that it was passionate so as soon as it became like a an orchestrated thing yeah, yeah. it kind of lost its magic and then we weren't making enough money to make it worth it and then it kind of just <laughs> oh man. second time burned out but we tried that's okay because I feel like it's so experimental too and I feel like a lot of girls on the campsites are usually are like girl next door kind of look or yeah. you know more real more attainable as to, as opposed to Porn stars. people yeah that are big boobs and they're perfectly shaped and totally. like hairless and just make these ridiculous sounds and you're like wait that doesn't look right <laughs> you're like i don't know i think there's definitely someone for everyone out there in like the porn world and i happen to fit a really nice niche for a little while um it's too bad that it ended the way that it did but we learned totally. a lot we did yeah did you guys have a lot of trouble trying to get those videos off I'm sure there are still a lot of those videos yeah. available online yeah. we, were, we were able to take a couple off like we for sure were able to get some taken down I was gonna say we didn't actually I mean I knew that there were like six or so large sites that had over 50 of our videos and those I couldn't touch how did you guys find out about these sites some, obtaining your videos some really nice followers of ours were writing to me I had like a whole separate kind of email and a whole separate phone number that I could like write to these people and do like custom orders of like you know foot fetish stuff but really light foot like I would just be like stepping on fruit and they'd be like PayPal me hundreds of dollars and I was like I can deal with that that's fine but then right. they started writing to me and sending me screenshots and they're like hey like just so you know like I'm finding your face on like this site and this site and these like really nasty like revenge porn sites oh and, my like, gosh not like kind places for your footage to end up oh. and I was like oh fuck I remember the first day that my boyfriend came home and I was like hey babe <laughs> uh, we gotta talk like oh my gosh yeah how did that make you feel when you first found out about that like did you believe it at first you thought oh, it was maybe a God. joke no I felt so violated it, sure. it like 
full panic mode within like five seconds. What were like the first things that going through your mind was like, oh fuck. Yeah, oh fuck. Like in big capital letters, oh fuck. And they're just being like, what do I do? What do I do? And of course it clicks in my mind like, oh, DMCA, I paid for it. They got this. And I emailed them and they're like, yeah, we actually don't, we can't help you. And they, That's like, awful. Re- they returned my money and they're like, yeah, our badge is more there just to deter people, but like we can't actually remove things. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, oh my gosh. Oh no. So, so did yeah. you guys like look into researching how to kind of, how to extract those videos yeah. off these sites? Or Basically, like, you how? can't. Oh yes. my gosh. We, we kind of settled the idea that if we just didn't feed that account anymore we didn't create new content that it would kind of fizzle out and just get lost in the internet yeah. and it kind of has we've, we've gone back multiple times and it hasn't grown since we first made those videos yeah i'm hoping that it just kind of gets buried under right for like the thousands and thousands of videos that are being produced every day by amateurs and professionals like you know our stuff was good but i don't think it was exceptional so i'm hoping people just forget about <laughs> it and don't remember like the names we were using totally so that's kind of all oh we all we could do what kind of videos were you make, guys making before? Oh, well, before camming, actually, that summer. So I always had this idea to make really beautiful porn that was more tailored towards girls, was a little bit less, like, derogative and more like... Like the porn that's currently out there? That's yeah. all of the porn, porn that's currently out there? And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just thought there was a lot of room for porn to grow. Like, videos on the internet were getting to like be such a high quality, and, like, cameras now that everyone has are just so high quality, and I feel like porn was not keeping up with that curve. So I was like, I'm going to make something beautiful that's like to music or just really, yeah. How does a porn that's out there vary or how's the one that you guys make differ from like what's generally out there? How do you define it? Well, (laughs) I was trying to make it more artistic and I wanted to have emotion and connection between the characters and I wanted it to feel authentic and real and... That's what we set out to do, was not create it just to be for a guy or for... Was this, like, more for, like, on your kind of creative side, or is it something that you... This was entirely for him. (laughs) Um, I was always the person who... I was comfortable with my body, and I'm fine running around in, like, little bikinis, and then he'd be like, we should take naked pictures, like, hanging off this cliff and share them, and I was like, no. So it's all your fault. (laughs) This is all his fault. Everything is his fault. Yeah, basically, that's a longer story, but essentially that summer was when he was like, hey, like, we should just try, like, one, and I won't show your face, and of course, like, my face was totally in it, and I would totally be recognizable, but we did it with me in, like, this little dress, like, in the forest, and there were all these flowers, and it was really pretty, um, and I, like, fucked up my back, because he, like, fucked me up against this tree. Oh, no. Uh, but the video was really beautiful. It was all in, like, slow motion, like, these light rays, um, and we shot a couple others like that uh, with one of the friends that we were having threesomes with at the time, and it was very innocent, like, it was kind of a girl on girl but it was more about like the first kiss and like the interaction and that nervousness you feel the first time that you're with someone doing something new um and those were actually pretty beautiful like as porn goes for like for something for someone like me who doesn't like watching porn it's kind of scary those were actually palatable and then from there is when we decided to get into camming and see how it goes but one thing i remember was really disappointing for both of us was the fact that you can't really make it artistic right in camming there's not a lot of like lighting and music and kind of storyline it's just you know like when you have to get up and go to the bathroom you're like okay guys hang on one sec i gotta like (laughs) go get a snack i'll be right back like you know it's a bit more real and raw but i guess it's just the difference of doing it live or edited that's really interesting too because the trend nowadays too when you see like facebook live and instagram live Mm -hmm. and like all these other like live sites like i I almost want to say that camming was kind of before that Mm -hmm. time right yeah well what do they say that like the sex industry and porn specifically have been responsible for some of the greatest like technological advancements like porn companies were the ones who first funded and invented like live streaming cameras right and things like snapchat right was originally meant to be a sexting app and it didn't get approved so they had to change the name but right it creates a need for products that then end up changing the whole world so I think that's kind of cool yeah it's kind of revolutionized the scene too because now camming is super popular because everyone is pretty much doing it right and everyone knows of it like you know I like I like how open that is that it's become possible for people to see real humans having real experiences for the most part and I think that's kind of why people are really attracted to camming and to like watching people cam because it's almost like so relatable and it's Mm -hmm. almost this could be my neighbor well yeah my cute neighbor downstairs totally so when you guys got started with the whole camming thing, 
were you thinking about consequences in the future at all? Like you thought, this is fine, everyone's doing it. No, I was. <laughs> I was terrified. And the promise he made to me was, they will never find it. Don't worry. <laughs> they, they won't find out. There's no possible way that will be interesting enough for them to find out. But we originally blocked like our state and the states that we knew we were going to be in and California and everything. Which maybe would have been fine if they hadn't been recorded and shared. But I think that Sorry. was just me being ignorant and hopeful, right? Like right. when your parents tell you it's out there forever, it really is. You know, you can't get around it. Someone's going to steal it. Someone screen records it. Like it's out there. I think the difference between Jay and I was that I was okay with it getting found out. And she was not. Yeah, that's never been a problem for him. Like, even on Instagram, he's okay to post, like, very close to explicit, you know, pictures of him, like, cliff diving naked and kind of just running around with his naked body has not been a problem for him. And I think part of that is just him as a person. Like, he's different than me in that way, but also mm-hmm. the way society views men and women differently. I was just going to say, yes, totally, totally double standard for yeah. both men and women. Right, if he's, you know, naked in the ocean... People are like, yeah, you're such naturalist, like, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and then I do it, and they're like, oh, I'm going to fuck you so hard. I'm like, I'm yeah. not. Like, I'm literally <laughs> just like, my body is on the sand, and I'm in nature. Like, this isn't a problem. This shouldn't be shouldn't as be provocative as it is. But women's bodies are always being policed, yeah. as opposed to men's bodies. Are just bodies. They're just bodies, exactly. It's, right? it's just so. a person who can do what he wants. So I think that made me a little bit nervous, because I have always been afraid of, like, judgment, what other people thought. And he was kind of like, oh, fuck it, like. You know, if they see my dick, like, it's just my dick. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. Like, my family is going to shoot me. Like, oh, no. So I was always worried, which is why when I first got that message from one of the followers being like, hey, your stuff is getting out. And I was like, fuck. God damn it. Like, yeah, but. Do anyone else ever contact you in in regards to, like, hey, or, like, threaten you guys in any way? No, not exactly. I mean, I had a quite like over a hundred of our followers like write to us and being like oh like I think I know blah 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 like I think I might know who you are and I would just kind of not answer and not feed it right one person wrote was like oh I'm gonna blackmail you but I didn't actually think they had enough information so I never wrote back and nothing happened right and I've told a couple of our close friends like back in LA and stuff who know we do it and I mean they didn't share it or care so like it's out there in the world but no one seems to be actively pursuing it I think there's enough people doing it now that it might not have the weight of blackmail like to be worth it, the right. effort of trying to go find it again that's so crazy mm-hmm. oh my gosh well that's <laughs> that's a really intense story though because i feel like once you feel like someone has found out your identity mm-hmm. like what what do you do in that sense like so i was going to ask like for you as a dancer when most people have a different stage name is that a concern too because you're really face to face with people and you're yeah. in the same city like have you ever like <laughs> run into someone in a grocery store and been like oh shit no thank god no i mean and it's crazy because i'm super open about like what i do too like it's on my on all my social channels on my facebook my family connected with your real name yeah yeah exactly that makes it less yeah because for me i don't dance full time and for me there i just i'm not committed fully in that way i'm not so invested yeah and i'm also okay with it it yeah i personally don't have a big stigma about it but i know my family and friends sometimes they do they're like oh what about like when you're job hunting are you ever worried about you know an employee's yeah. gonna find this and stuff too oh it looks like you have something to say about well, that that was something <laughs> i was worried about too like if i you know had a desk job and then people found out i did porn i wouldn't be so concerned but because full-time i'm a content creator for online companies and instagram and my face is literally my brand I was concerned that if the porn came out that I would never be able to get myself out of that niche or that market, especially just with the way that Google works and trends on like keywords. I was worried that whenever companies would search my name, that is what would come up first instead of all the work that I've spent years and years trying to cultivate as like what I want my brand to be. So that was concerning to me because I knew it could bleed over into like every other aspect of my life my income so maybe that wasn't smart but you know, totally <laughs> if, if your job can be very separate from online work I'd say give it a shot you know just be aware of what the consequences could be could be yeah totally and also some backstory guys too I guess we're kind of going out of order here but that's okay because I roll with it on my podcast but um basically uh J and R they're pretty nomadic I can't speak today nomadic, nomadic couple <laughs> guys I'm like so tired <laughs> You've been working hard this week. It's okay. Working really hard. Um, but yeah, you guys are pretty much a nomadic couple. So we are recording right now in Vancouver, but you guys are about to, I guess by the time I've released this, you guys can be we'll all be in moved Bali. up in Bali. Yeah. yeah. We've been traveling full time for about five years. 
Like we've been living out of a backpack or a suitcase for five years, and we've—I mean, we've lived all over America and Canada. We've lived in Greece. We've lived van in, life across yeah, America. We've lived in a van and traveled all over the Thailand, world. Bali. Uh, yeah. Wow. Europe, Asia, South America. We kind of just keep keep going. <laughs> How did you guys get started with that? Um, <sighs> we just left. Oh, actually, no. So. We just left. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was right seventeen uh, when I met my boyfriend. And I didn't tell him, and I actually graduated high school two years early. I took an early exit exam, so I literally met him, and we started traveling, kind of moved in together, like, about a week and a half after we met, which <laughs> happened to be right when I got my results back, that wow. I didn't need to go back and finish my other two years of high school. So we were in Thailand, I think, for my 18th birthday, wow. or Hawaii, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> we, were, we were backpacking somewhere around the world. Um, and then when he got his contract, it just kind of went from there. He spent two years... Uh, working with Cirque and then I came along as the circus girlfriend and we had this amazing community of people and then when you're already living out of a suitcase it's pretty easy to just keep just going. keep going <laughs> and even before that like the very original way that we started traveling was we so we started a sticker business we were cutting like what? custom stickers okay. and well, decals. decals okay decals. and we didn't earn very much money but every week we like saved up whatever we made and we just took a road trip as far as we could go. That's awesome. Yeah. We're like, we got two tanks of gas. How far can we get? And we'd like drive to Arizona or up the Oregon coast or down to Las Vegas and just sleep in the car and rock climb and like just go tromping around in the forest because we could. Yeah, and, and we started creating films too on all of those trips. We made little like travel films and people started paying us for these travel films. Wow. And eventually we were like, well, let's go further. Let's go to Thailand. And we talked to our, our sponsors and they kind of helped fund the tickets over there. Sweet. Which is why when porn became something on the table we're like this could be perfect yeah this will pay like six times as much and we can keep it totally anonymous all right joke on me um, <laughs> the irony and then it seemed oh, like kind of a perfect stepping stone so yeah so because i was going to ask because you guys are always on the go and you guys are pretty much located everywhere in the world yeah trying to um fund yourself while you while you're traveling like how do you do that and I guess obviously porn and camera would kind of be a natural approach yeah <laughs> right <laughs> yeah anything that can be done on computers and remotely is kind of key so I would say for myself about half of my income comes from Instagram and online content creation mm -hmm. and then the other half is from a rental property that we own together and we rent out full-time um, so that's a nice bit of passive income yeah, that helps a lot, for yeah, sure. Yeah, same as what she said. Yeah, I have a couple rental properties and just do whatever we can to make money. A lot of it comes from film and creating content and Selling for stock footage, YouTube, monetizing our accounts. I mean, the real trick is people, people who see <laughs> our life on Instagram don't believe me, but I live off of $600 a month. What? So, so we both wow. have 600 We both have about 600 bucks, and yeah. together it's so like 1002 and we, we make it work. Lodging. Like in Bali and Indonesia, my budget per day is $20. Wow. So that gets you like a $10 room and three meals a day and a scooter rental and like a SIM card for your phone. And then there's just enough left over every month to save up to get you another like $200 plane ticket somewhere else wow. every 30 days. And the thing is, that it works so. It works in Asia. It works in like Bali. Yeah. <laughs> it would not work in Places like Europe. Vancouver and LA, we do struggle. <laughs> but the only good thing is that we always have that 600 bucks coming in no matter what. And if we decide to work or we get other film work or anything like that, That's then it, it just, yeah, it just adds to it. So it oh, makes it, yeah. anywhere we go, it is easier than before when we were broke. Yeah, totally. I mean, as an example, the way I met you, right? Like if I come to Vancouver and decide I'm just going to pole dance every day in a studio for fun, I'm still getting paid at the end of that month, right? Like I have been eating cookies from the dollar store on this couch pretty much every day just hanging <laughs> out and I still get paid. So my life works and I'm... You know, I'm, I'm floating right now, but it's a very thin line. Yeah, we're just trying to grow from here. We're just trying to create more products and create more capital and things that will like keep on serving us for a long time a into the future. A little more sustainable things that I can do potentially longer term because we all know no one wants to see me doing camming when I'm like 65. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> an expiry date on that. <laughs> unfortunately, a, a squirrel society kind of gives us a window and they're like, this is when you're profitable and then totally. time's out. So I try to work on my blogging and photography and just keep it. Know somewhere where I can scale it up as time goes on. What other plans do you guys have for the future? I know. Do you guys want to mention about your school and the oh the, the circus? Can I talk about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, um, some future plans. I know we talked about this off off the record before, but you guys, uh, another reason you guys are moving to Bali is to open up a circus school school over there. Yeah, we have plans. We're looking at land right now. We're gonna try and do a rental for like 
five or 20 years um, of land down by the beach and build this big kind of circus community because we have so many friends from all over the world now, right? Because we have all totally. these different communities of people who want to come together and do pole and circus and yoga and movement and just have a place to be that's cheap <laughs> that everyone can afford to just come and breathe for a minute because I feel like the world is moving so fast and especially for people our age, most of them, I mean, you're loaded. You're, you're a baller. Like, <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you've got a good life. But most of my friends, you know, are still living at home or can't get out of the house and, and don't think they have the ability to travel or be free. And we want to give them a place that they can feel that freedom and come be with us and just... Do what they love. Train. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so you obviously are both trained extensively in circus arts and aerial arts. Do you guys want to speak about that as well? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I was ever really trained. I just watched YouTube when I was young. And <laughs> saw like parkour on there, and I—I I mean, I've had amazing people around me, like incredible athletes who have like helped me with my mission, and people I've been able to look up to. But it was just looking on YouTube and trying well, to. Well, that's it not out. entirely that's fair. He—he he was almost a pro hockey player. He started competitively figure skating when he was like seven years old. What? And has all these newspaper clippings of him winning like Australian men's division when he was like nine. Um, so like it's not prodigy. that he was, yeah, he wasn't untrained. It was just that he's been trained very specifically in different sports like parkour and tricking and breakdance and ice skating and all these things that led up to being with Cirque du Soleil. It was the right mixer at the right time, but he's definitely had some of the best coaches in the world. And he's a fast learner and he does things that maybe most people shouldn't do. Take a lot of risks. <laughs> yeah, but he's still alive and that's, that's uh, what we're happy about. <laughs> <laughs> when, we, when you were in Cirque, can you tell me like a couple things that you specialized in? Uh, so I specialize in parkour. Actually, they brought me in early to help create the act as well as be in it. Okay. They, they never really used a parkour act in Cirque du Soleil, and I know they were kind of worried about it because in, in video, parkour looks amazing. Like, yeah. People are jumping off, like, five-story buildings and, like, yeah. doing impossible things, but it's really hard to make that sustainable over ten shows a week. Right. So they brought us in, and we were trying to, like, figure it out. We spent, like, four or five months just trying to create the act and figure out what worked and what didn't work. Holy crap. And actually, that was the end of parkour happened because there was too many injuries. I was actually the only person who made it through the entire two-year contract. Wow. All of our people either got fired or quit because it was just too much of a workload, too many injuries. And oh, my gosh. That's yeah. insane. That was intense. <laughs> and you were, you, sorry, your timeline for Cirque du Soleil, that was two years, I think? Two and a half. Yeah. Oh, two and a half. Wow. And it started in Montreal with a nine-month creation, and then we did, like, Toronto and Ottawa. We kind of went across Canada, and then we went down to Florida. I did like Miami, Tampa, all the way up to New York. We were living in a van that whole time, so we got wow. to drive like cross country through the United States and America so and fun. Canada, rather. Sorry, <laughs> um, and see a lot of really cool stuff. But that was how we saved up enough money to buy our rental property that now gives us income. Was by living in a van and kind of keeping it a little bit more low key while yeah. everyone else was blowing all their circus money on like it's cars. It's really hard not to blow that money. Yeah, <laughs> once you get in the circus, you just want to live it up. You have like, everyone's living it up. You big know? parties and lots of like prostitutes and fancy cars <laughs> and drugs and people are like really living a high life. And then we would just go back to our van and be like, you know, set up a slack line in the park every weekend and just kind of hang out instead yeah. of, you know, renting jet skis. But the yeah. other thing is it's really hard not to rent the jet skis because the thing is it's such a stressful place to work. Like you're really giving everything. Like your body is exhausted. Everything is just you're mentally just exhausted at the end of these at the end of every single week. Yeah. So it feels like you need the release. It feels like you need the release. Yeah, yeah you wanna spend your money to go and make yourself happy and like you know, really <laughs> experience the place that you're you're you've been. If you can't see it all like by driving around, you're like, let's just get a helicopter and just fly around and see it or something. You know? Let's just get a helicopter. <laughs> like yeah. no big deal. Can you tell me about the, the training uh, in Cirque du Soleil? Um, yeah, I don't know. How intense was that? The training wasn't too bad. The training, I was actually pretty surprised because you don't go to Cirque and have, they don't, they don't tell you what to do. They're not there being like, you have to do bigger tricks, you have to do this, they have to, you have to do that. They just kind of let you do what you want to do. There's just a lot of like kind of pressure to do the best that you can do. Right. You know, they might come back and be like, oh, like, you know, the crowds aren't like as happy with the show as we would like. And you just, you know inside yourself that you have to level up and like, yeah. you know, make the crowds happy. So it's not that they really force you to do anything. It's just... Mm. Ah. I would disagree <laughs> with that. I, I saw him go through a lot of moments where the casting directors or the coaches would say things in a very particular way, right? They wouldn't say, oh, like you need to do bigger flips, right? Or we're going to fire you. But it would be like, you know, as he just said, you know, the audience doesn't seem to be impressed. And they'd kind of leave it up to or him. Like and then people who didn't rise to the occasion would be fired the next week. Like we saw a lot of people get cut where, you know, the coaches would be like, yeah, yeah, you're doing great. But, you know, the audience or, like, the vibe needs to be a little higher. And if people weren't willing to take the risks, they would just be gone. So it's kind of, you know that you need to really give it everything and be risking a lot. Otherwise, it's just not worth their time to keep you on. 
So that's what I saw him Whoa. going through. Yeah, that's but the, the, I such feel like an interesting perspective. It's it's pretty intense, but at the same time, it's kind of what you're gonna get if you're in the entertainment industry. Like, there's just you're so replaceable. There's a million people who are doing amazing things every day. So it's yeah, like, that would kill to be in your shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then that's one of the things that they do. Like, if they need to replace someone, they can find a replacement in like a day or two. Like, same level person. They have the same hair. They look the same. Same height. They'll just bring them in out of nowhere. Another you just, you Olympic gymnast just exactly. pops in, like just, fits the costume. Oh my god. <laughs> There's just so many talented people, so yeah, you have to give it your all. If you don't, then totally. Well, that that must be like a lot of pressure, though, a lot of stress, no? For sure, it was, yeah. yeah. But there's a lot of good times too, like, <laughs> like every, all everything. The you have. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, let's talk about that. We haven't talked about that yet. Well, so yeah. well, big parties, the... lots of hot young French girls, and yeah, everything has its goods and its bads. And Cirque du Soleil like has a lot of goods. It's really hard, but has a lot of goods. And like one of them is that like when you work at Cirque du Soleil, it's really easy to get girls, like. <laughs> If you yeah. go on Tinder and you're like, hey, I work with Cirque du Soleil, and then you invite them backstage, like, that's it's it. Done. It's yeah, done. done. It's, it's a done. done deal. Oh, man. <laughs> there were really awkward weekends when we'd have multiple girls who wanted to show up at a time, and I'd be like, sorry, we're booked. Like, it <laughs> we're was. Capacity. Yeah, pretty much. Like, there were so many people that I'd be talking to, and we'd be matching with, like, hundreds of people on Tinder. I, God, people always laugh about this, but when we were first having threesomes, I actually didn't think I liked girls. So my logic was that. If I could get the hottest girls possible, like I could handle it, even if it wasn't something I really wanted to do. <laughs> so, of course, I ended up getting these girls that I thought were the most beautiful in terms of what I wanted to look like, right? So, there were these like tall, blonde, French, like ballerina circus models, which it turns out is not my type at all. I tend to like shorter, like Mexican girls with like boobs and butts, which is hilarious. But I didn't know <laughs> that at the time. And I had this like, it was like a 15 question page that I would send all of them that they had to answer and then I would score their answers. What? And they had to hit a certain number of points to even be allowed to like come and meet with us for the first time because we had so many people that I just, I like couldn't handle it. So I would hand it off to my boyfriend and be like, here, you know what my basic qualifications are. Like they have to be like a 12 out of 10 and they have to have slept with less than three people and they have to be willing to get a full clean blood test and show us the results. Wow. They can't smoke cigarettes. They can't do hard drugs. They can't be super Catholic. Like there were a lot, like they have to like dogs. That was literally one of the things on the list. I was like, if you don't like dogs, I don't trust you. You're not (laughs) sucking my boyfriend's dick. Um, And then I would score their results and I think they had to hit like, I don't know, a minimum of like 16 points for me to write back to them and be like, okay, like we can meet you once and then if we like you, like then it's go time. That um, is some screening process. Yeah. Like, people actually did this. This was and like no joke. This, yeah, she, she's not yeah. over-exaggerating here. Like no, people, no. people like, would do this. Like yeah. they bring their girls, blood tests. We had girls, like 18, 19 year old girls who were like, you know, foreign exchange students from like Ireland and France who would be taking days off of school to drive themselves to a clinic to get like a full screening and then send me the results and be like, I'm clean. Can I please come? What? And I'd be like, oh, like maybe like I'm tired (laughs) next week we're having a party like then you can come and every guy at searches hated my boyfriend we would show up to every single party with like one or two other girls (laughs) oh it was the funniest thing wait wait where do you find these girls though most of these girls were from Tinder or the circus gym that I was working at. So while he was training with Cirque, I was doing like 80 hours a week um, training at this big trapeze school oh and a gym for this other circus company. So I was working at nightclubs and big corporate events and like the Ferrari headquarters for their Christmas party. Like I was learning so much at the time. And it turns out in Montreal, most of the people who do circus are small and really hot girls who speak French, which is very much both of our type. Um, <laughs> and most of them were fascinated by the fact that, you know, we were from somewhere else mm-hmm. and that my boyfriend is like slightly more ethnic looking, right? Like he's half Mexican, but he grew up in Australia. So, you know, he's like a coconut, I joke all the time, where he looks <laughs> kind of brown, but he's totally a white guy. But he would show up and was the only guy in the room who, you know, looked different. And all these girls were just in love with him. And they would come up to me and ask they're like hey like I know we're, like we're just friends but I've always wanted to have a threesome like can I sleep with you guys and I was like what the fuck like <laughs> I, uh, I'll ask him I guess and then we did <laughs> so yeah I don't know in the friend group of circus or from tinder or wow yeah what the random heck? people finding us on Instagram and we just like send us videos and then like fingering themselves and I'd be like oh, can yeah. I see people your face people in the crowd too people would watch the show and just send us send me videos of yeah because they could find them through the like the cast <laughs> list yeah and they'd just like send us naked videos and I was like I can't see your face like I don't I don't know what to do with this like thanks though like we're eating dinner um, yeah so Cirque was a crazy time in that way yeah like I just, had no idea yeah I had no idea what the fuck yeah <laughs> 
Boxer Holy shit. lives it up. Wow. Oh my that's, God. that's one of the benefits. It's an incredible experience, which has also, I guess, did that inspire you guys to start your book and your podcast, How to Have Threesome? For sure. Everything that we did kind of happened while I was at Cirque. I think it just gave us set of circumstances that were above and beyond normal and we just really lived it up while we had that that experience and And we also learned a lot like right it's a very close-knit family when you're in Cirque and you're all living together so everyone kind of knows what everyone else is doing and girls would come to me I was like the like the family therapist you know for this cast of however many people there were like 150 of us and people would just show up to my room and like talk about their marital problems or like problems with their kids and like their husband had cheated on them and they always wanted to hear like what I had to say about it, which was hilarious because at the time most of them still didn't realize that I was like 18, 19. Oh my god. And they were all in their 30s like <laughs> trying to get me to counsel them on their marriages. But I ended up hearing that most people have the same problems like over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's just about like not getting your needs met, not being honest and willing to have those hard conversations. <laughs> and from that me and my boyfriend were just like, damn, like we could probably help people. Like there's something that we do and a level of honesty that we have that a lot of people don't and that's when he decided to write his book and start getting into this project and, and, it's and also when we started when we got into threesomes it was not something that was just there was information about online or we didn't have a lot yeah. of friends who were into this so we felt like we were just taking a leap of faith own. when we did <laughs> oh my yeah. god it's like did and, your own thing <laughs> yeah and we, were, we wanted to give other people a place that they could learn and figure out how how to create a monogamous relationship that's not you know, that's what we call ourselves monogamish not monogamish because I don't <laughs> neither of us go off and sleep with anyone else and I don't interact with any men because I am not interested in that I have more than enough testosterone in my life just with him um, so we say monogamish but we wanted to help people skip through a lot of the problems that we had gone through and just get you know past all the bullshit like people who are just unhappy in their in their relationships and not being honest so yeah, yeah it all just stems from, from being honest and communication and Good stuff. It's healthy relationship building is basically yeah. what the podcast is about, despite the name. Yeah, despite <laughs> <how> the kinky <laughs> title, it's a healthy relationship that can involve other people and still keep your sexy time going, because I feel like a lot of people are missing out on that. So that's okay. where that all started. How did you guys come up with the title? It's so catchy. <laughs> <laughs> was that I was just the podcast title. Too. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we were joking. Like, at first, I wanted it to have a very kind of official, you know, like, healthy boundaries for like a modern relationship like something like that because that's just how I am yeah. you know new millennial boundaries whatever and then he I think just said it one day he's like what if it was just like you know how to fuck two girls and I was like what, you mean like threesomes <laughs> and I was like I mean I guess so like people will at least pick that up like when people see the book sometimes we had a copy lying around like our apartment for a while and people would come over and just stare at it and be like is that real like is that actually i'm like yep and now especially that the cover has a picture on it of like three of us us and another girl like naked on the cover we're hoping that at least we'll pick it up and then maybe they'll get like some of the actual useful information out of it so that's exciting that's though <laughs> when is that expected to be released can we talk about that yeah it's gonna be released on december 17th dude it's coming up and that's probably when this episode's gonna be released so Ooh, good timing people <laughs> around there guys yeah so we have the website and the book and the instagram so if anyone ever has questions specifically yeah probably about relationships i mean I can tell you how to like bake cookies too but um, <laughs> if you ever want to reach out i'm more than happy to answer your questions yeah we can definitely plug all that cool fun stuff at the mm-hmm. end of the show um there's still a couple more things i want to yeah. kind of get through as well so i guess on on your topic of <laughs> threesomes what are what's kind of like your advice <laughs> <laughs> threesomes 101 there's a whole book on it but like <laughs> the basics is just start with like being super honest with your partner and talking about your needs. And because knowing I feel why like... you're going into threesomes, right? If you have a horrible relationship or you're jealous or your boyfriend has cheated on you and things are a mess, threesomes will not fix it, right? You have to come <laughs> from a very healthy, grounded place where there's both a lot of trust and you know why you're doing this in a respectful way for it to work because I've seen a lot of people who think they can handle it and then they go about it the wrong way and shit hits the fan. Like, this will bring out all of your worst insecurities, this will bring out every bad scenario in your head will pop up in the middle of something going on. Especially if you're with your significant other, right? We talk to people all the time who are have been the third, like the third girl being brought in or where it's three kind of strangers together and that's a whole different story because there's no possessiveness right. or jealousy to work through. Right. But I think the main thing is being honest about what your expectations are for it, what your hard boundaries are, you know, because that's mm-hmm. different for everyone. Like a really short example is I used to be fine 
with my boyfriend having full sex with another girl like we're all together and then afterwards if he tried to hold her hand I would get pissed that like so like so much more personal yeah know? and and for everyone it's different right? like some people they're fine with their boyfriend you know banging a girl for three hours but he can't kiss her or can't yeah. have sex in missionary whatever it is totally. like there can be different boundaries so just talk about that ahead of time and don't be afraid to say when something feels wrong because if you push that down and it turns into resentment that will just fester and it creates so many problems so <laughs> I mean number one tip is it's the girl's decision this is not for the guy to pick right the girl Thank should you. pick the girl Thank the girl you. should set the boundaries the girl should set the time and the place and the rules because the more control she has in it the less problems there will potentially be but really think think long and hard because it's not for everyone it can be great uh, but if you if you want to read all the all the bad things that have gone down uh read the book we've made all the mistakes and then i can't we, wait for the book to come out it does take a long time to figure out what works for you as well you know okay. because when we first started it was a completely different thing that we have now like we've really figured out refined yeah we <laughs> it. well how, how did it work for you guys though like how did you guys both come to this conclusion that hey this is something that works for us i mean it just took a lot of times fucking up you know <laughs> literally but <laughs> yeah yeah it, there were there were bad nights like there have been times you know where it's your worst case scenario and it usually wasn't the girl's fault it was just because I was either too embarrassed or like didn't want to cause a problem and say that something didn't feel right and I would let things get too far and then just like yeah, you know too late. spend three months like having a mental breakdown like oh trying gosh. to trying to recover because I was just like replaying all this stupid shit so oh no. in, in messing up you really figure out what yeah. will work in the future and how to avoid those things that didn't work the last time it's gonna be different for everyone but totally. yeah you learn how to never repeat those experiences and lucky enough for us like we don't I mean I don't think we've ever had the same mistake happen twice right and everyone's different every girl you bring in will be a different situation but we've definitely refined like our boundaries and what works for us and the time limits and how the interaction should go because we like keeping everyone as friends mm-hmm. we used to do a lot more like kind of one night stands but now they're people that we travel with or have ongoing relationships with and that actually helps because yeah, we you care about for a long time. I'd say that after Cirque du Soleil we've kind of switched over to like finding friends that we get along with and feel like we could do something more long term and actually hang out with and Wow. Yeah, and even if there are girls that we meet on Tinder, it's more with the expectation that, like, first we have to be friends and we'll, like, go for an adventure. Like, we'll, like, hike to a waterfall or go, you know, do some crazy adventure and then it can lead to that, but we don't meet up with people now with only the expectation of having sex and then nothing else because it it doesn't mean as much, you know? They have to like us as a couple more than either one of us individually. Right. Which is something I've learned a lot, right? Like, if they only want to get with him, that's not going to work. If they only want to get with me, it's not going to work. They have to really, really respect us as a pair. So right, that's, that's helped a lot. And even people that we've met that haven't turned into threesomes, we've like made a lot of really good friends that we hang out with still, mm-hmm. and like just go, yeah, shoot pictures and make videos with them, and it's it's fucking awesome. Like it's opened up situations where it didn't have to be sexual, could have just oh, been really good friends. So like going back to kind of what you said in terms of like you know threesome with a stranger versus threesome with friends. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of speak on any of those experiences? Oh man, <laughs> if you want to. Yeah, I'm, I mean, there's so many. I mean, not so many, that's like, <laughs> but so many different, like, little things that come to mind. I think one of my least favorite things about meeting up with a person for the first time is that they don't have any backstory, right? Which makes sense. But I used to get so tired of, if we were meeting a girl, like, every Friday night, for example, that I'd have to tell them the same stories over and over. You know, they go, where is he from? <laughs> oh, hockey, this, that, surf, this is how we got here, this is what I do, this is my name. Like, it's exhausting. The same, right, because you have to pitch. get them to that point <laughs> where they respect you enough and you're just saying the same thing over and over again. I used to want to make, like, a little intro video yeah. where, like, I would here just send go. it to a girl, here's a 10-minute video, listen to it, okay, don't ask me these fucking questions anymore. Like, so at least now when it's a friend and they already know who we are and, like, have that respect for what we do yeah. and who we are as a couple, it's just, it's so much easier. It, yeah. it just saves a lot of time. Um, so Awkwardness too. Yeah. But it's also different. I feel like you have to be more careful when it's someone in your friend group. Mm-hmm. because the blowback repercussions could be a lot worse. It's like, what level are they in your friend group? Mm-hmm. Are they more acquaintance? Are they an actual friend? Or yeah, close and friend? the closer they get to your inner circle, I it's would riskier. be very <laughs> cautious because if feelings get involved or you know something gets messy, that can divide friends and, and get really complicated. So I would keep it at like, you know, acquaintances or people you see a couple times a year, but not yeah. like a neighbor, not someone who lives near you or is in your workplace. That is, it's, it's that's really a no-no. It's really back out of these things when you, if you get to a point where you're just like, no, 
no, we need to be separate now, that can be a really sticky situation. Yeah, that's happening. You guys, a couple uh, times. speaking from experience? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, a couple, couple times, but there have been like one or two girls where we slept with them, you know, on and off for a couple of months or a couple of years, and then my feelings would change, or we would just change as a couple and no longer be into that type of thing, right. and they would be really upset about it. They like you take know, it super personally. Yeah, like we'd or... come back to their city, like in Montreal or something, and you know, they'd be like, oh, you're in town, like we're gonna come over and we can like, you know, we're gonna fuck, and I was like, no, like we'd love to see you for dinner, but like, not sex, out. and they'd be like, what? Furious. <laughs> like, what, you hate me? What's wrong? Like, is it because I'm fat? Like, what is it? And I was like, this... It's not about you. Like, no. it's literally not. Like, we grow and we change, and my boundaries have changed, and I still love you as a person, but, like, that's not something I'm interested in, and a lot of people are not okay with going back to being just friends, so I'd be really cautious about involving someone who holds a lot of meaning in your life um, <laughs> or is close to you in that way. Totally. <laughs> Do you have anything to say on that? She You're said like, it all no. there. <laughs> You're so quiet. <laughs> okay, do you guys want to? You want to talk about the podcast? It's a great podcast. So yeah, uh, after we wrote the book, we decided it'd be a good idea. We decided that a podcast is a natural step as well. Jay is an amazing talker. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> okay, he is right. <laughs> So it just felt like a, a good way to, to, to talk about some other things that we didn't include into the book. And yeah, and frankly, it's a really good way to get to ask those personal questions to people that normally would not be okay. Oh, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. we were able to bring other people into the conversation too because our book is mainly from our perspective. Mm-hmm. And then when we started talking to guests, it really felt like we learned a lot from it too because everyone has a different situation. Our situation is what works for us. Mm-hmm. But when we talked to other people, there was like some similarities and some differences, and it's just so interesting. You and, feel like you're part of a community. And tips for like how to handle jealousy. Like one of the girls that was on our podcast, um, Ember, is in a polyamorous relationship, and I've known that about her for a little bit of time. But it, I've never been in a situation before where I can really sit down and be like, "How does the sex work? How does your jealousy work? Like, what pisses you off? Like, how do you deal with that? What are the hard conversations?" And hearing her talk so openly and eloquently about it was really eye-opening. Like she said some things that I have keyed into my brain and been like, "Okay, this is important." Little nugget. A goal of like remembering this so it's nice being able to answer kind of more questions and we're hoping that as the podcast builds people will send us in their situations or their questions and we can help them work through it because we want this to be a community that grows for uh, sure to create a kind of more healthy narrative around this whole thing all the things well <laughs> <laughs> that's fun though too because you guys are pretty new at the podcast as well i think that's yeah you guys uh, have what, i mean we started it when i met you so yeah. like a month ago <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty new. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we yeah. Like recorded our first episode when we got up here. So, so exciting. Yeah, we're planning on doing an audiobook too, so it felt like a natural kind of like way to figure out how to... They're all kind of, of like linked in some way, right? Exactly. So, yeah. How have your family and friends dealt oh. with... Ooh. With camming. <laughs> oh, and, with camming. Yeah. Oh, okay. And with threesomes and your podcast and everything. So, I'll start that by saying thank Lord Jesus for not having my family find out about the camming thing because I know that they would not be chill with that per se. But the threesome book... (laughs) They know about that. Well, they weren't (laughs) supposed to, but right before we left for Burning Man, my boyfriend accidentally... uh, The way it works on Amazon, right, he has another book that's like a travel book we wrote about Bali that everyone in my family has subscribed to, him as an author on Amazon. Uh And then he was posting, there's a mini guide for the book, right? So the How to Have Threesome's book is kind of all the stories and all the failures and the lessons and then there's a companion guide that's just kind of some tips and tricks like positions facts safety stuff that's meant to go along with the book and kind of draw an interest and he posted that to Amazon and I remember asking him I was like it's not connected to your name right and he's like nope and he uploaded it and something with the Instagram or not the Instagram the Amazon Amazon algorithm linked it and sent out an email to everyone in my family going you know more books from this author yeah this (laughs) author has uploaded a new book check it out Oh and God. I got the email, which is how I knew as we were leaving for Burning Man. And you're like, oh no. And yeah, and my parents had been acting a little weird that morning. And my parents oh are no. divorced, but we'd seen them both. And we were leaving to Burning Man with another girl too, which was hilarious. <laughs> and I just remember looking at him and going, fuck, you sent it to them with the cover. Like how to have threesome with our names on it to my parents, like with no like pre-discussion. I was like, oh fuck, well, now they know. Okay, to be completely honest, this felt like a relief to me because I don't like to like hide who I am. I really like to just own it up, yeah, be myself, be like, this is something that I did. I'm I'm, I'm happy to talk about this. I don't need to be perfect in your eyes. I just want to be me. I like him being perfect in people's eyes. My parents (laughs) think very highly of him. I've constructed a really good version of him. And not that he's not great, but there were certain things that I always kind of omitted. And my mom always talks about him just like, oh, 
he's the perfect guy. We've never met anyone like him. Like, our daughter has the best days in the whole family. He's, yeah. like, so respectful, understands how important it is to be committed in, like, a monogamous relationship. They would never do anything. Like, she doesn't say that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, she literally <laughs> said that a week before. We were considering sitting down and talking with her. Oh, my God. And then my sister had just cheated on her boyfriend, and my mom was pissed. My sister's old, like, 10 years older than me. My mom was pissed and was like, you know, she didn't learn these lessons. Like, how could she? Like, the family. But at least you guys know. Like, you understand the importance of, like, only sleeping with each other in a committed, loving relationship. And I was like, yeah, yeah. about that. Like, okay, maybe <laughs> now's not the time to tell you that we, like, sleep with all of our friends. Um, <laughs> and then he accidentally sent them the cover. So they know. Uh, but we oh, have We had a conversation. Yeah, we, we talked with my mom after. And she was okay. Definitely had some concerns. Mostly thinking that I've been, like, I don't know, like, coerced into this somehow. Also because I don't think she realizes that there are girls that I do like. So multiple times she was like trying to word it as like a trick question. Like, so what's in it for you? So are you sure you like it? Are you sure there's something? I'm like, yes, mom. I don't have to tell you what it is, but yes, you should know by now. So they know, but we haven't talked with my dad. We probably will soon. Oh my no pressure, hey? Yeah. He, he definitely knows. It's just every time we have such good times with him and we're like, ah. Uh, we just don't want to like, don't don't go bring there. Yeah. Yeah. He's flying out to Bali for my birthday. I will oh. be turning 22 Ooh. in Bali. I'm an adult now. So exciting. And maybe then we'll uh, have a conversation. But they're okay with that, so they've, they've handled it pretty well, as, as well as I could hope. Right. It's better to have his conversations in paradise, so. Yeah, <laughs> on vacation. With a drink in his hand, be like, so, Dad, by the Lots way. Lots of drinks in his hands. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's my dad. Yeah. And on my behalf, my mom, it's just me and my mom. I don't have any other family, really. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she helped me edit the book. What? Which was so terrifying. sweet. Terrifying. Uh, I mean, it's great that she's super supportive like that and, you know, not judgmental. Actually, a really bad story. My mom actually walked in on us one time having a threesome. Oh, that's true. That's true. So she already knew before the book came out. She knew this was something that happened, but then she was reading some of the stories. She's like, oh, wait, what? What? And that was totally your fault by the fucking way. This was like our first, (laughs) like one of the first weeks we were having threesome. So I was like just turned 18 and we were up in Canada and we were like kind of sleeping with, I mean, we were sleeping with this friend of ours very outright. (laughs) And I remember he had told me, he's like, oh, you know, my mom is out. She's like in town. And I was like, but she doesn't have a key, right? And he was like, no, she doesn't have a key. And what we used to do just because we like doing, we'd always pull the bed out of the bedroom into the middle of the living room. So it was by like the TV in the fireplace. You can like watch movies and smoke weed and have a bunch of sex. And literally at like, I don't know, midnight, me and the other girl are going like involved. I was eating lasagna sitting on the side of the bed. And I just see the door like crack no. open and it's just a silhouette his and, like, mom's just standing there staring at Jay us and the other girl didn't realize what was happening it took her a while for like the oh, lighting to adjust or whatever oh my god <laughs> I am dying I, I was horrified fucking dying I'm oh horrified. my god especially because like me and his mom don't have a really close relationship like we're just on a different wavelength and she wasn't really sure of me at the time because we hadn't been together that long and then she walked in and you know there's this other naked girl with blue hair like in our bed and I was probably doing something atrocious and, <laughs> and she just kind of stood there and my boyfriend was also really high at the time just just like on weed but he had well, never I, smoked I, before in his life like this was didn't know that I did drugs of any sort all so of I was the like, things oh, happening drugs is a strong word we don't drink coffee or alcohol or touch anything that's not like plants like we basically though it's a drug so <laughs> yeah we basically only eat like organic vegan weed edibles sometimes in the summer but she had never seen him stoned before and he was right naked and trying to get her out of the house and she, she like, like wasn't leaving the bathroom and i like had to walk oh, in there my eyes were like oh, super red so i was looking at the ground it was, it was actually okay i was just like laughing with her I was, like, he thought it was funny me and the other girl were like behind, like a, yeah a wall she's like oh do I, I go yeah she was like trying to grab her stuff and leave i was like you don't have to leave she's like i'm getting the fuck out of here like this is not cool i was like oh and my then god eventually i think my mom filled up like a hot water bottle and then she left <laughs> yeah got some snacks and left she was like have fun kids i was like fuck Oh, I'm dying with that yeah. story. So and that then, happened once. So she helped edit the book. And after that, we actually but. pulled out the camera. And just yeah. He thought it would be. He said it as a joke. He's like, "Oh, wouldn't it be funny if like we actually made a porn now?" And we kind of looked at each other. We're like, and then, and then we did. So, <laughs> so she she knew. But having her edit the book like while we were with her, we visited her in Greece. Wow. Um, and having her read some of the chapters about things that he's done that she didn't know, like, bad things that he's done. Even, like, like, stealing and stuff yes. when I was little. Like, there was some stuff in there that she just didn't really she realize. Just stealing that. art supplies or cheating on ex-girlfriends or having his first girlfriends cheat mm-hmm. on him. And then it got to the scenes with us where, like, he had done some really bad things oh earlier in our God. relationship. And she was just looking at me like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> who are you? Like, so disappointed in him. And I was like, oh, God, why am I 
here. So she knew, and well, now my parents She just I'm wild and crazy. She was kind of wild and crazy, too, so I feel like she understands. Friends in the family, right? Yeah. <laughs> no judgment there. Right. I think she's just, to be completely honest, I feel like she's happier to know me for real than yeah. to hear like a fake version of me. Totally. And I feel like a lot of times parents are happier to just know the truth. It depends Even on the parents. <laughs> totally depends on the parents. Yeah. Oh Very conservative parents would not rather hear certain things. But yeah, luckily neither of our parents are, so they still love us. We're not disowned as of yet. Um, <laughs> I guess with that we could go into some Q and A. Sure. We got a couple questions here. I guess this is more for you, are At what age did you begin training circus and when did you know you wanted to do Cirque? Man, okay, so circus in general actually the first time I ever saw the circus was in New Zealand. Oh, and cool. I was eight years old and they had this like little pop up circus. And there was a kid who did like a handstand on his dad's hands. And I saw it and I was just amazed. I was like, wow, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and the kid came to our school for like a week and he didn't speak any English. And I tried to be his friend. And I remember he took me and like threw me into a puddle and just rode me like a cowboy. And I was like, <laughs> I was like what the fuck? But, but at the same time, it, it like I was like, man, I want to be that cool. I want to be the kid who's able to throw people in puddles and like ride them and like do handstands on his dad's <laughs> hands and like be that interesting. I don't know. <laughs> so like, my fire was ignited when I was like eight years old. And I always wanted to do that, but my life went in a bunch of different ways. Went and got into ice hockey and figure skating and a whole bunch of other things. And then I was doing all those other things, and I had a lot of concussions in ice hockey. And I saw parkour on YouTube, and I was like, oh, "That's just so cool! It feels impossible. <laughs> it feels like what they're doing shouldn't be real." Right. And Looks cool. Yeah. And then you became one of them. Yeah, and then I just started doing it, and I thought I was too late. I started parkour when I was like 15, and that's way too late to become professional at anything. I felt like. But yeah. uh, I just got really lucky and trained really hard, trained like five hours a day oh for like gosh. the next like 10 years. And yeah. His and mom would drive him like after school. He would do his homework in the car, drive him two hours to the parkour gym, and then he'd sleep on the way back every single day. Wow. Like she doesn't let him go soft at anything. If he said he wanted to do something, he has to be like professional yeah. at it, right. which got him where he is today, but totally. it definitely makes him, uh, yeah, he no struggles with relaxing. Sick or injured, you just got to keep going. <laughs> oh my God. He's really bad at having rest days. Like whenever he's sick, I'm like, you just need to sleep. He's like, I can't. There's like 15 things I need to do and write a book and like save the world. I'm like, you just calm down. No, everyone can't do everything all the time. <laughs> so she raised a champion, but now I'm teaching him how to relax sometimes, take yeah, care of himself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, going to Bali will be a lot easier. Yeah. We're still yeah. going to keep it busy no matter what. But. Oh, yeah. We're building <laughs> our circus house, but Absolutely. at least it's warmer than Vancouver. Yes. It's getting too cold yes. for me here. The thing it is, is cold. Though, <laughs> at the end of those, like, when you put in, I, I have this belief that like you put in ten thousand hours to become excellent at anything. As you wrote a book on that. Yeah, too. Malcolm Gladwell's yes. book, Outliers. Yeah. Yeah. I have a tattoo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, but even if you put in those ten thousand hours, it doesn't necessarily like guarantee you success. Like mm -hmm. you know, a lot of it has to do with luck as well. And I was just in the right place at the right time because parkour was just such a new sport and it was exciting and new and fresh to Cirque du Soleil. And totally. I think they saw me traveling and doing cool stuff, and they were like, "We want to, we want to, we need this essence of freedom in our show." Wow. So they contacted me. That's so cool. Like they, they contacted you. Like yeah. That's so freaking nice. It did, it did feel like the, the accumulation of a dream that I'd had since I was like eight years old, though. Right. So. This is an incredible story. <laughs> One more thing as well mm -hmm. is that after you accomplish those big dreams, I, this is something I learned when I was at Cirque du Soleil, it's not always what you anticipate it to be. Because when I was younger, I thought when I finally made it to Cirque du Soleil, I'd feel like satisfied in myself and fulfilled forever on. Like it's going to be my happily ever after. And that's not really the case. Like you get there and you find problems with it and you find things that don't work and things that do work. and how do you, I guess it's kind of similar, how do you go from wanting to do Cirque to doing Cirque? I have some advice. This is something that changed my life because when I was in LA, I like spent many years trying to do the, the thing that everyone else did, the, the grinding, trying to like go into auditions and get movie roles. And you're competing against like hundreds, if not thousands of other amazing, talented people. And it just, it felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And it really felt like something changed when I started doing what I wanted to do when I followed my passion. So when we bought our plane tickets to Hawaii and to Thailand and we were just started doing cliff jumping, cliff jumping and, and, and parkour out in unique. the world. And, yeah, just doing what I felt was right. And I, I wasn't like, I was doing way bigger moves back when I was training at the gym, mm -hmm. but I was doing it for me and for, for like, it was just something that I wanted to do when I was doing it out in the world. And that's when Cirque du Soleil paid attention to me. That's when I started getting opportunities. It was not when I was doing right. what everyone else was doing, but when I just did what I wanted did to do. Did your own thing. Okay. So besides just doing what you love to do, yeah, with Cirque du Soleil, they have an audition process and they, like, I went to a private audition. You have to like send in videos and whatever else. And to be completely honest, it was the best audition of my life. Like wow. I just went in there. I'd been performing all summer and I was just super confident and 
went in there and threw my biggest tricks, threw like a round off double backflip, landed like perfect. And I auditioned for two different things. So I auditioned for tricking and for parkour. And mm -hmm. I think that like showed them I had a bit of diversity. Totally. So after you get into the database with Cirque du Soleil, they can call you at any point. Like one of the people right. in my shows, or one, one of the people in my show had gone through the audition 11 years prior and they had called years. her once. And then wow. she was on her, her honeymoon in Hawaii. And then Cirque du Soleil called and was like, hey, can you be out here in Montreal in a week? It's like, okay. So wow. after you do the audition process, it's just up in the air as to whether you're going to get hired and when you're going to get hired. And I mean, for you, you passed your audition in Vegas four years. No, it was two years. Oh, was it two years? Oh. So you passed your audition, and then two years later is when they called you. Uh, to be in the Cirque show in Montreal. Yeah. So you never really know, and some people are in it for their entire lives and never get called back. Some people get called, you know, within the weekend, and it depends on what you do. Like for dancers and acrobats, mm -hmm. there's a way higher turnover and a lot more yeah. than for specialty yeah. skills, right? Like certain singers or clowns or kind of specialty acts that are more unique, like hair hanging. Those people can't be replaced as easily, but yeah. getting in the database definitely doesn't mean that you're cast in the show. It yeah. just means that the directors can now see you and they can search you up for roles. And that's exactly oh. it. Yeah, once you have their attention, once you get those people to follow you on Instagram and follow you on Facebook or whatever, when you start posting videos, you're going to stay relevant in their eyes and they're going to see what you're doing and they're going to find a show for you to fit into. So this person, a lot of these questions came from the same person, I guess she really wants to be in Cirque. <laughs> um, can you be a Cirque aerialist if you start at 28? Ho ho! Hi there, fellow aerialists in the room. I am sorry to tell you, but the answer is pretty much no. I started learning circus uh, when he got his contract, so I was like 18, 19, uh, and I was lucky enough to get trained by some of the best people in the world doing 80 hours a week, but the problem is for most Cirque aerialists, you need to be a full contortionist too, at least in your lower back range, and for most people, unless you have the genetic condition, you need to have started training that around the age of like 5, five. to 10. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and if you're not one of those people who started training at 5 or 10 years old, you'll end up like me where I now have permanent scar tissue in my lower back and I have problems from trying to force myself into these shapes to get the moves that were required so I'm not saying don't try like if it's your fucking dream go for it but just be aware that like aerials especially are so hard on your body they're one of those sports that you really only have like eight or ten years in and if you're already 28 getting up to 30 by the time that you're in Cirque if you're getting injured and your body can't heal fast enough that's going to be really really hard so mm -hmm. uh, I want to put a couple caveats there one is that in my show the average age of artists was 27 years old. Oh, okay. So a lot of people think that it's when you're 18 or 21. That's not true. Like, but they'd all been in the Olympics, so they'd already all been training since <laughs> they were five, been, the been through the Olympics, and then were in Cirque. So it's not like they started 25 and were in Cirque by 27. This was kind of a lifetime culmination of yeah. their yeah. training, like there's, you. There's another caveat as well, is that Cirque du Soleil is not the only place that you can do circus. There's right. a lot of other circuses, like ones by Dragon or Seven Fingers, and there's even nightclub performances. There's a lot right. of things that you can do with circus. You don't necessarily have to be in Cirque du Soleil to have a really successful circus career. Yeah, if you want to be a performing aerialist I'd say the best work is actually for like corporate events and nightclubs because you can make your own schedule and I have friends who are in their 30s mm -hmm. like early 40s if you can keep up your fitness and can still like you know dangle around in a shiny little costume and kind of be eye candy that is work you can do but Cirque specifically is so hard on people's bodies and they do have age cutoffs for aerialists just for what your body needs to go through oh, and the time and commitment it takes to like keep your ligaments soft and not right. get injured because if you have a back injury and you're out of the show like you're that doesn't suit them really well so I'd say keep it up maybe focus on some other companies that you could work for and make sure that you warm up take care of your back don't don't mess around with it because if it hurts <laughs> it's it's probably serious the other thing yeah. is creativity is key too if you go out there and you're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing then they're not going to notice you but if right. you go out there and you create something unique and like you have a really interesting act then you never know what could happen totally good advice all around though <laughs> we have a non-circus question here I guess it goes back to the whole camming thing so how do you get your stolen content uh, slash shows taken down from the interwebs yeah, I think I addressed it a little bit earlier, but basically, it's you can't. Yeah. Basically, you're <laughs> so fucked. Sad. If it is stolen to a site like, for example, Pornhub, which is unusual, but if it's an American-based company with their servers on American land, then you can pay to get it removed. And honestly, porn companies don't want to get in a fight with you. If you just email them and say, this is my video, I don't give you permission, they'll just remove it. They don't care, right? They have enough free content coming in. But what you'll notice is on a lot of websites that are hosted outside of America, there's a button at the bottom of the screen, right, that says, report stolen content and the button doesn't go anywhere what? if you try and click on it so it'll misleading. yeah it either doesn't open anything or it'll open an email form that you can send emails to but there's no one receiving it so i spent weeks just sending them oh. threats sending them lawyer things like we're gonna and nothing right no one's actually reading yeah. it and they don't care if you want to make sure that your stuff doesn't get 
out there to the world. You Don't can take, it. you can do things preemptively <laughs> though. You can put yeah. like watermarks on your videos. I have to say the stuff that we created later with masks, none of that got put up on those sites because we did a I lot of things. I just don't think it was very good. Yeah, yeah <laughs> maybe it wasn't good, but we, we also took all the precautions that we could have taken. We put watermarks in there. We, I don't know, that's probably all we did. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. What, what I've heard from other cam girls when I started getting into this process of trying to have things removed, they're like, you can't stop it, but what you can do is at least advertise well. So I know a lot of girls will like write their username on a piece of paper and have it in the background of all the shots. So yeah. your videos are going to get fucking stolen, but at least people will know who you are and know how to come back and find you and hopefully help you monetize right. your own brand. Yeah. So yeah. I would just say be cautious and, <laughs> and going through that process, one of the things that we learned is that like, other, this has happened to everyone. <laughs> it's not just like, it wasn't <laughs> no, just us. But the general consensus online was to just own it and be like, this is what, this is me, you know? Right. That can be, that can be hard for some people to do. It can, it's extremely like hard. Like me. <laughs> for me, I'm just like, eh, it's out there. <laughs> You're like, well, it's there. It's good. <laughs> Well, I guess that's the last question for today. So thank you so much, R and Jay, for coming on the show. <laughs> Thanks for having us. You're welcome. But where can we find you before we go if you wanted to promote anything like your podcast, your book? Yeah. I think that might be it for you guys. So our, our Instagram is at how to have threesomes. And same you can also. Same for the website. Same for the website. We have our podcast, is How to Have Threesomes. It's on Apple. And then How to Have Threesomes is on Amazon as a book, yeah, an ebook. The, the full book. release is coming out soon. Or yeah. I guess by the time you guys are hearing this, it's probably already out there so if you want to hear some crazy fucking circus stories and learn how not to have threesomes you can read that book and then, <laughs> not to have threesomes. yeah and then learn all the lessons that we've learned from that that's awesome guys thanks um, for having us oh you're so welcome <laughs> thanks guys for listening another new episode dropping again next sunday stripped by sia on instagram or my personal instagram sia stuff and we'll catch you guys again next week peace out bye bye, bye. Produced and hosted by Steph Sia, aka 